0: was elementary school we had this event once a year called field day I'm sure your school had something like that as well field day was an opportunity for each class to go up against one another in friendly physical competition there were events like 40-yard dash sack race tug-of-war and of course bull riding I'm just kidding about that last one just threw it in to see if you were paying attention honestly if you knew where I grew up you might have wondered if that was the truth Field Day was a way of making physical education fun and teaching us important lessons about sportsmanship. And it worked because Field Day was something we looked forward to every year. I recall one year in particular when I was selected to represent my class in the baton relay. There were four of us on each team, and in hindsight, I was probably chosen for this role because the baton relay was one of those events where if you had someone who was not quite as fast, you could make up for it with someone else on the team who was slightly faster. You could you know, balance things out. There's a reason I was chosen for the baton relay and not the, say, 40-yard dash, for example. And this particular year that I'm thinking about, there's a kid on my team named Charles. Now, there are two relevant things you need to know about Charles. First... He was really fast, I mean deceptively so. He was not the kind of kid you would look at and think, I bet that guy can scoot, but scoot he could. The other thing you need to know about Charles is that he almost never wore pants that fit. They always seemed to be a little too big. Now, I don't say that to make light of the situation. I'm honestly not sure if it was a personal fashion choice The early nineties were a time when pants were baggier in general, or maybe he had to wear hand-me-downs out of necessity. I I genuinely don't know. This was a public school. There were no uniforms. And if there was a dress code, it must've been fairly lax. Whatever the case may be, Charles was fast, but his pants didn't fit. And those are the two facts you need to know that are relevant for this story. I'm not proud to say this now, but at the time, I would get really frustrated at him because we really needed him in the baton relay. And as he was running, he would constantly have to slow down to pull his pants back up. I remember thinking, come on, Charles, if, if you would just wear pants that fit, we might actually have a chance at this thing. Again, I'm not saying I'm proud that I thought that, I'm just being honest with you. And I'm speaking as someone who almost always wears a belt. If I have on pants with belt loops, 999 times out of a thousand, I'm going to have on a belt. There was a day recently when I got to work and realized i had forgotten to put on a belt and I was mortified. I felt like I might as well have been walking around half naked. I like for my pants to feel secure. On the weekends, if I'm wearing more comfortable pants, I always make sure the drawstring is tied and secure. You get the gist. Now, why all this talk about belts and drawstrings and keeping our pants up? Well, last week I introduced us to the armor of God in Ephesians 6, and today we're going to examine the first article of that armor. Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, as we walk through this passage over the next few weeks, I don't think we need to be too consumed with why Paul associates certain qualities or virtues With their corresponding piece of armor some people get really far off into speculation on this why is it that the breastplate is righteousness and the helmet is salvation and so on for one thing as we're going to see paul is drawing from images that originated in the old testament and these things can be a bit fluid for example paul says elsewhere in first thessalonians 5 verse 8 let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So in First Thessalonians he likens salvation to a helmet, just as he does in Ephesians 6. But for the breastplate, he refers to faith and love, and he doesn't mention any other pieces of armor. So I don't think we need to get too bogged down in speculation about the significance of the metaphorical pieces of armor. Instead, our attention needs to be given to the qualities that we're called to put on. With that word of caution in place, however, it might be worth pointing out the difference between how belts would have functioned in the first century versus today. When I wear a belt, it's often one of the last items of clothing I put on. But if I were living in the first century and I were getting ready for a battle, a belt is one of the first things I would have to put on. In a time when people wore robes, a belt was essential for holding the robe in place so that movement could be more free. So the belt was foundational to the armor of any soldier getting prepared for battle. And the point of Paul's exhortation is that we need to be prepared so that we will be ready to stand in this fight." So what then does it mean to put on the belt of truth? In order to help us make sense of that, I want to give you some biblical background, both outside the book of Ephesians and within the letter itself. The most important passage outside of Ephesians is Isaiah chapter 11. Now just to give a bit of context, in Isaiah 10, God warns the people of Israel about the judgment He's going to bring on them because of their unrepentance. And as He often does through the prophets, God uses an extended metaphor. He describes this judgment as the clearing of a forest. Those who have been lifted up will be brought down to stumps. Isaiah chapter 10 ends with these two verses. Behold, the Lord God of hosts... Will lop the boughs with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down, and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. So at the end of Isaiah 10, this once great forest of Israel has been reduced to a field of stumps, figuratively speaking. But then come these words, at the beginning of Isaiah 11, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now, in case you don't know who Jesse is, he was the father of David, one of Israel's greatest kings. And many of God's greatest promises in the Old Testament were given to to David. The promises were not about David, but they were about a descendant who would come from him and who would reign forever, as in for all eternity in justice and righteousness. This coming king would bring peace and fill the earth with God's glory and kingdom. What God is promising here in Isaiah 11 is similar to that. The nation has been reduced to stumps. But from this one stump, the stump of Jesse, A new David, a new king will come forth. God is promising the coming of the Messiah. We know from our vantage point in history that this was a promise about Jesus. And I want you to listen carefully to what God goes on to say about this coming Messiah, King, Jesus. This is from Isaiah 11, verses 2 through 4. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him Then comes a verse that is incredibly relevant to our understanding of Ephesians 6. God says of this Messiah king in Isaiah 11, verse 5, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Now, maybe that seems anticlimactic to you. Perhaps you were hoping I was going to say that he had the belt of truth fastened around his waist. Instead, as the ESV translates it, he has righteousness and faithfulness as belts around his waist. But the word faithfulness there in Isaiah 11:5 is crucial because there was a Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. It's something Paul had surely read. Several New Testament writers seem to have been familiar with it. And in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word used there is aletheia, which is the Greek word for truth. It's the same word Paul uses in Ephesians 6. So God says in Isaiah eleven five 5, that Jesus would have truth fastened as a belt around his waist. And now in Ephesians 6, verse 14, Paul exhorts us, "'Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth.'" So the very first thing we need to understand about putting on the belt of truth is that this is the belt Jesus wore, figuratively speaking. In fact, truth was not just an accessory that Jesus possessed or a quality that he demonstrated. It was something he embodied. The Apostle John said in John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace, and truth. And in John 14, when Thomas protested to Jesus, saying, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus responded to him in this way. This is John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But what does it mean for Jesus to be the truth? And what then does it mean for us to put on that truth? This is something we need to bring out of the realm of metaphors and figures of speech. And we need to know, how do I actually apply this to my life? How do I obey this command to fasten on the belt of truth? It's important to know that throughout the Bible, and even here in the book of Ephesians, the word truth can have two different senses. First, there is truth in an objective sense, what we might call the truth. Paul said back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, in Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So sometimes the word truth has this objective meaning. It refers to the truth of God's word, the gospel of our salvation. Jesus prayed for his disciples in John 17, verse 17, "...sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth." so to fasten on the belt of truth means that we must know and trust the right things it does not mean that we have to know everything there is to know it does not mean that every follower of christ must be a trained theologian with a seminary degree if they want to be faithful but it does mean that we should want to know the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth as god has revealed it in his word it means that we anchor ourselves to this foundation and satan would love nothing more than for us to doubt or deny this truth jesus warns us about him in john 8 44 he was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him when he lies he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies if jesus is the embodiment of truth Satan is the embodiment of lies. And what was Satan's tactic in the Garden of Eden? He did not begin with a full frontal assault. He began with questions that quietly sowed doubt. Did God really say? That was what he asked Eve, and he does the same with us. He wants us to doubt and question the truth about God, about us, about him, about sin. He wants us to feel perplexed and confused. He wants us to feel overwhelmed with the thought that maybe it's impossible really to know what is true and what is false. After all, we live in a world with so many opinions, so much information. How can we really know what is true? But truth is foundational to the armor we wear in God's strength. We have to put it on. We have to clothe ourselves in it daily, and we have to be sure that the truth we're putting on is defined by no one else than the one who is himself truth, Jesus. So truth can have that objective sense. The second sense that the word truth can have in the Bible is a subjective one. Truth can be an objective thing which can be known, but it is also a subjective thing in, what, in which we must live. Paul urges us, for example, in Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And in Ephesians 5, 8, and 9, he says, Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Fastening on the belt of truth, then, means that we not only seek to know and trust the objective truth of God's Word, but also that we seek to live in accordance with that truth. Just as Satan would love for us to doubt or deny the truth, he would be equally pleased if we had heads full of truth while living lives of hypocrisy. It won't do to have one or the other. Genuine faithfulness means pursuing both, and that's what it means to put on the belt of truth. In his prayer of confession in Psalm 51, David said, "'Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being.'" Putting on the belt of truth often begins there, with us giving up lies that we have believed, even lies that we have told ourselves or others for some time. It means being honest and sincere before the Lord, knowing that He is incapable of being deceived. He is able to search the depths of our hearts. He knows every thought and intention and motive. And he invites us to give up our self-deception, to give up the facade we put up, and to lay ourselves bare before him. Then he invites us to treasure the truth of who he is for us and what he has done for us in Christ. The one who knows us better than we know ourselves gave himself for us in love. He did not turn away from us. He pursued us. He became like us in every way except without sin, and He became our sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And once we have begun to cling to that objective truth of God's grace in Christ, He enables us to be truthful people who are honest and sincere with Him and with one another. He calls us to put away falsehood and to speak the truth to one another. He invites us to integrity and to living out the truth we claim to believe. When God commands us to put on the belt of truth, He's inviting us to walk with Him because God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. He invites us to walk with Him in the light and to bear the fruit of goodness and righteousness and truth. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Henderson Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about our church, you can visit us on Facebook or check out our website, HendersonBaptist.org.